Well, tonight we are in part three of our series called Beneath the Surface. And uh, during this series, what we're doing is we're looking at some of the most interesting and unique stories that Jesus ever told. And Jesus, he was famous for telling these stories known as parables. And parables were stories that used just kind of everyday, ordinary situations. They were easy to understand, easy to relate to. But within these stories, there was always a, a deeper meaning, a spiritual meaning kind of hidden beneath the surface. And only those who were really paying attention, only those who were really listening would actually get it. And tonight we're going to take a look at a parable found in Matthew chapter 21. Uh, my guess is for probably, I don't know, 90% of the people in this room, you haven't heard this parable before. I've never taught on this um, on a Wednesday night in a small group, anything like that. So it's probably going to be a, a new story for, for a lot of you. So I want to give you a little bit of context of, of what's going on in this story before we jump in. Jesus, he's kind of coming to the, to the end of his public ministry here on earth. And his celebrity status, it's, it's at a peak. Like he's a big deal. Everybody's talking about him. Everybody wants to see him. He's a big celebrity. And Jesus, he arrives in Jerusalem and people are going nuts. People are losing their minds to see Jesus. And they throw essentially what was like a, a parade for him to welcome him. I want you to think about like the, the boat parade for when the Bucks won the Super Bowl. Like that's how excited they're getting. I picture Jesus, he's on his donkey, he's got the, you know, the Super Bowl trophy, and he's tossing it to, to a disciple on another donkey. Like they're, they're throwing a party, they're throwing a celebration, they're excited. And all the people, all these Jewish people, they're convinced this is our Savior. This is our Messiah. This is the guy that we've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they were right. Jesus was the Savior. Jesus was the Messiah. But they didn't realize that Jesus was here to save them from their sins. They thought Jesus was here to save them from Rome. That he was going to, to build up an army. That he was going to overthrow the, the Roman Empire. That he was going to establish himself as king. That's what they were expecting from Jesus. And these Jewish religious leaders, they hated all the attention that Jesus was getting. They were jealous of him. They were threatened by him. They felt like they were going to lose control of the, the people to him. And they began to think of how can we undermine Jesus' influence and his reputation. They wanted to, to discredit Jesus publicly in front of people. So that's kind of where our story picks up tonight. In Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 23, it says this. Jesus, he entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. And they asked him this question, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this, uh, this authority? The, the religious leaders, they come to Jesus, and essentially they're like, who do you think you are? Who puts you in charge? What business do you have teaching these people? Jesus, you're a nobody. You have no business trying to, to lead them and to teach them. Who gave you this authority? And listen how Jesus responds. He says, I will also ask you one question. And if you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He says this, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? So they discussed it among themselves, and they said, well, if we say it's from heaven, then he'll say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say it's of human origin, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, 
We don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. So what, what, what's going on here? There, there was this guy named, named John, John the Baptist, who was, who was a prophet. He was sent by God to, to speak to, to the people. And the message that John was communicating was, you need to repent and you need to turn to Jesus. He was telling everybody, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Savior. This was the message that he was, he was proclaiming. And now Jesus, he's putting these religious leaders in, in a tricky spot. Because if they acknowledge, yes, John was sent by God, then they're going to have to admit that Jesus really is the Messiah, and they don't want to do that. But if they say that John was just making all this up, that he wasn't sent by God, they're afraid of all the people because the people really believe that John was sent by God. So they're kind of in the, this, this tough situation, and they say, you know what, we're, we're not going to answer. And then they go to Jesus and say, well, we don't know. Pass. We're, we're, we're not going to answer. And Jesus says, well, if you won't answer my question, I'm not going to answer your question. But then Jesus, he kind of turns the tables on them. And he tells them this, this parable. He continues on. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first one and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. And then Jesus asked them, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. So Jesus, he, he tells this parable involving a, a dad and, and two sons. And the dad, he goes to the first son and says, son, I need you to go and work in the vineyard. He gives them a, a list of chores to, to get done. And this son, he looks at his dad and says, nah, I'm good, no thanks, I'm not going. I just want you to imagine for a minute, your parents come to you and they say, hey, I need you to go take out the trash, I need you to do this, and you look at them straight in the face and say, no, not going to happen. My guess is it's probably not going to end, end well for you. But that's how this son re responds. He's got attitude. He's disrespectful. He's rude to his dad. But his dad goes off. And this son, he starts to feel bad about what he did. He starts to feel some remorse. And it says that he changes his mind and he ends up going to the vineyard and obeying his dad. He does what his dad asked him to do. But then the dad goes to the other son, because the first son told him no, and he says, son, I need you to go to the, to the vineyard. I need you to go and take care of some things. And this son, he has a great attitude. He's very respectful. He says, dad, whatever you need, I would love to help. You give me the list. I'll take care of it. I would love to help however I can. And dad's thinking, that's great. The dad leaves. The son has the list of chores. He sets it down, and he goes on about his day and never does a thing about it. So we have two completely different responses from these sons. The first son is rude, tells his dad no, but then changes his mind and obeys. The second son, he's nice and respectful, has a good attitude, but then he never actually follows through and obeys his dad. And Jesus poses this question, like which son actually obeyed their, their father? And, and the obvious answer is, is the first one. Yes, he was rude. Yes, he was disrespectful. Yes, he made a mistake, but he's the one who actually followed through. And then Jesus, he kind of lands the plane on this story, and he kind of turns it on these religious leaders. Listen to what he says. 
He says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you, the religious leaders. For John came to show you the way of righteousness. John came to show you how to have a relationship with God, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. And here Jesus begins to, to explain the meaning of this, this parable. And this is very interesting because typically Jesus would not give an explanation. He would let everybody wonder what was going on. But here he's going to explain what the meaning is. He wants to make a point. And in this story, the, the dad represents God. The first son represents the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And the second son represents these, these religious leaders. And now it's important for you to understand, tax collectors and prostitutes, they were like the scum of society, bottom of the barrel. People looked down on them, people despised them, people felt like they're, they're far from God, they're, they're lost, because they spent their entire lives living in sin, ignoring God's commands. Like just like the first one, the, the tax collectors and, the, and the, the prostitutes, they essentially looked at God and said, no, God, we're not going to obey you. We're going to ignore what you have to say to us. But when these people heard the message of Jesus, when these people heard about how they could receive forgiveness for their sins, when they heard how they could be accepted and loved by God, they repented and believed. They rejected God at first, but when they heard the message of Jesus, they obeyed. The religious leaders, on the other hand, they were some of the most respected people in society. People looked up to them, people admired them, and people thought they must be close with God because they follow all the rules, they follow all the regulations. But when these religious leaders, when they heard about the message of Jesus, they refused to accept it. They refused to repent. And now Jesus is saying that the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the scum of society, the people considered unlovable and unforgivable, they are entering into the kingdom of God. They are being saved because they responded to the message of Jesus. They believed and repented. But these religious leaders the ones that everyone thought was close to God, the ones who followed all the rules, the ones who said all the right things, they are missing out on the kingdom of God because when they heard the message of Jesus, they refused to accept it. They refused to obey. You see, Jesus, he told this, this parable over 2,000 years ago in a very different world, in a very different context, but even today, in 2021, as a middle school student, as a high school student, as an adult, this parable has incredible relevance for our lives today. And for the next few minutes, what I wanna do is look at just three takeaways, three important truths that we can apply to our life from this story. The first one is this. God is more concerned with what you do than with what you say. God is more concerned with what you do than with what you say. You see, the second son in the story, he said all the right things. 
He talked a big game. He, he, he said and made promises to his dad about what he was going to do. But there was no action to follow it. There was no actual obedience. He was all talk. He never backed it up. And unfortunately, that's how I feel many people treat their, their faith. They say all the right things. They have all the right answers. They make big promises to God about what they're going to do, about how they're going to follow through this time. This time it's going to be different, God. But there's never any action to back it up. They talk a big game, but there's never any obedience that follows it. And Jesus' brother, a guy named James, he talked about this very issue. Listen to what he said in, in, in James chapter 2. He said, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims... If someone says they have faith, but they have no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister was without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And then he says this, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. He says, if someone claims to have faith, if someone says they have a relationship with Jesus, but there are no actions that follow, there is no obedience to back it up, James says, well, then what good is it? He says that this kind of faith, it's, it's dead. It's not real. Because faith isn't just about what we say. Faith is about what we do. Real faith has action. Real faith is followed with obedience. You know, it's so easy for us to fall into this version of Christianity where all we do is just talk. Where we sit around and we talk about the Bible. We sit around and we talk about serving and we talk about loving people. We sit around and we talk about sharing our faith with people. We sit around and we talk and we talk and we talk. But when we leave church, we never actually do anything. We never actually follow through on any of the things that we've talked about. And listen, students, you, you need to understand, God is not impressed by how well we can talk about the Bible. God is not impressed by how well we speak in our small groups, how good our, our answers are. God is not impressed by the, the Bible verses and inspirational things that, that we post on social media. God is pleased by obedience. God is pleased when we put our faith into action because God is much more concerned with what we actually do than with the things that we just promise and say that we're going to do. Real faith has action. Real faith has obedience. Number two is this. No one is too far gone from God's love and grace. You see, the religious leaders thought that the tax collectors and the prostitutes, that they were beyond God's love, that there was no way God could ever forgive them, there's no way God could ever accept them, because they had done too many bad things, they had made too many mistakes. And what Jesus is showing us here is that no one is beyond salvation. That regardless of the mistakes someone makes, regardless of the lifestyle that someone lives, if somebody turns to Jesus, they can still be saved. And for some of you in here tonight, that's really good news. 
Because you've made some mistakes, you've done some things, and you feel like, I am too far gone. There's no way God could forgive this. There's no way God could still love me and accept me after what I've done. And, and, and the truth is, that is a lie. That's not true. If you turn to Jesus, you can find forgiveness regardless of what you've done. You can still experience God's love and God's acceptance. But for others of us in, the, in this room tonight, this is such an important reminder that anyone, anyone can be saved. No one is too far gone from God's love and God's grace. And I know for some of you in here, you have a friend, you have a family member that you've been sharing Jesus with for, for a long time now. You've been inviting them to church over and over, and you feel like you're just not making any progress. They're never going to get it. And you just feel like, you know, it's not even worth it. I might as well just give up. And Susan, I, I just, if, that, if that's you, if you have that friend, if you have that family member, I just want to encourage you to keep pressing on to keep praying for them, to keep planting seeds in their life, to keep pointing them to Jesus, because you have no idea what God may do in their life one day. You have no idea how God may use you to lead them to Jesus one day. Listen, I'm, I'm having dinner with a friend tomorrow night, and I've been sharing Jesus with this friend since we were in 10th grade. For 12 years, I've been sharing Jesus with him. For 12 years, he's seen the difference Jesus has made in my life, and he has rejected Jesus every single time I've tried to share with him. And there have been plenty of times where I've been discouraged. I felt like this isn't worth it anymore. I'm just going to give up. He's never going to get it. But I truly believe that one day my friend is going to give his life to Jesus. I, I truly believe that. And until that happens... I'm going to continue to pray for him. I'm going to continue to plant seeds in his life. I'm going to continue to point him to Jesus the best that I can. Because no one is too far gone from God's grace. Anyone can be saved if they turn to Jesus. And finally, number three, you are not saved by what you say, but by what you believe. You are not saved. You are not rescued. You are not made right with God by what you say, but by what you believe. And listen one more time to how Jesus finishes this parable. He said this. He says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did, they believed. And even after you saw them, you did not repent and believe in him. Listen, these religious leaders, they had memorized the entire Old Testament. Like they could recite the entire Old Testament. They were experts on religion. They were experts on God. They could say all the right things. But because they never repented of their sins, because they never believed in Jesus, they were never saved. But these tax collectors, these prostitutes, these people who knew nothing about the Bible, these people who never went to church, these people who couldn't tell you anything about God and about religion, they repented of their sins. They believed in Jesus, and because of that, 
they were saved. Students, I, I want you to hear me, especially if you grew up in church. You can put Jesus in your Instagram bio. You can tell people you go to church. You can say that you're a Christian. You can say that you have a relationship with Jesus, but you are not saved by what you say. You are saved, you are made right with God by what you believe. And John 3.16, a verse that I'm sure most of you have heard before, I want you to listen to what, what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, not who knows all the right things, not who says all the right things, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Your belief, what you believe, determines your eternity. It is the only factor that determines your eternity. And believing isn't just knowing the right things. Believing isn't just saying the right things. To believe means to transfer your trust. To believe means to transfer your trust off of yourself and to put your trust in Jesus and on Jesus. You're no longer trusting in your own ability, your own effort, your own goodness to get to heaven to make you right with God, but you're transferring that trust and you're putting that trust in Jesus and who he is and what he has done. What you say saying you're a Christian, saying you go to church, saying you know who Jesus is, saying you know that Jesus rose from the dead, does not save you. What saves you is believing, transferring your trust to Jesus. And so I just wonder tonight, have you truly believed in Jesus? Has there been a moment in your life where you said, I'm done trusting in myself. I need to trust in Jesus. I can't save myself. I'm not good enough. I need Jesus. Listen, the Christian faith isn't about knowing the right things. It's not about saying the right things. The Christian faith is about believing and about doing. It's about believing in Jesus and following him. And obedience. So with our heads bowed, eyes closed, and maybe for some of you tonight, you are a follower of Jesus. You've put your trust in him, but if you really evaluated your life, if you really evaluated your faith, your faith right now is a lot of talk without a whole lot of action. You come on Sunday, you come on Wednesday, you'll chime in in your group a little bit, you might post something on social media every once in a while, but you talk a big game, but you're really not following through with any action, you're really not following through with, with any obedience. And if that's you tonight, I just, I wanna encourage you to let your faith become real to begin to live out what you say you believe, to go from talking to doing. But for some of you in here tonight, the reality is there's never been a moment in your life where you have truly believed in Jesus. You know a lot about him, 
You even talk maybe about him. You know about how he died. You know about how he rose from the dead. You could tell that to somebody, but there's never been a moment where you said, Jesus, I'm gonna transfer my trust. I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from you. I, I, I know I can't save myself. I'm not good enough. And Jesus, I need to trust in you to save me. And that's you tonight. I, I don't want you to leave here tonight without having that settled. I want you to leave tonight knowing you are truly saved, that you have a relationship with God, that your eternity and heaven is secure. And if that's you, I, I just want to encourage you tonight before you leave to find me, to find Morgan, to find John, to find one of our leaders. And just say, you, just, just tell us that. We would love to have a conversation with you and help you as you make that decision. God, I know it's so easy for us to fall into this version of faith where we just talk, where we say the right things, where we speak up in small group, we post the right things, and then to leave and never put any of it into action. And God, I pray for us as a ministry that we would be a student ministry, that we would be a church that puts our faith into action, that there would be obedience behind what we say we believe. And Lord, for any student in here tonight who hasn't come to that, that, that place in their life, that moment in their life where they're ready to really believe in you, to put their trust in you, God, I pray that tonight would be their night. Tonight would be that moment. Lord, give them the courage and the boldness to respond. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.